0: This past Wednesday we lost a spiritual giant in the world of Christianity. Billy Graham was perhaps the most influential preacher and evangelist since the Apostle Paul. Millions and millions of people in stadiums and arenas around the world gave their lives to Jesus Christ at Billy Graham revivals or what he would call crusades. And whether you are an evangelical or you consider yourself more of a mainline person, you cannot help but respect Billy Graham and the passion that he had for preaching the gospel. What was it about his preaching and his approach to Christianity that had such a profound impact on this world that drew so many people in? He was convicted, he was tireless. He was convinced that this nation needs a spiritual revival, a spiritual reawakening. And when we look at the headlines, I think we can agree that he was right. As an advisor to 12, yes, 12 presidents, Graham was able to give spiritual and faith advice without getting caught up in the partisan fray. He knew every single president personally from JFK all the way to Barack Obama. And his health has been a challenge in recent years. Graham constantly preached the gospel of the second chance, reassuring people that God never gives up on any of us. No matter what we've done in our past, there's always repentance, and there's always forgiveness, and we can always look forward and look ahead, and we don't have to look backwards. One time he was invited to preach at Duke Chapel in Durham, and uh, that was the first year that William Williman was the uh, minister of Duke Chapel. And so Graham preached, and after the service, they were in Will Williman's office, and, uh, and he, he looked at, at Bishop, well, then Minister Williman, he said, he said, you know, you're going to have a great ministry here, but um, many of these students and faculty are completely unaware that Jesus is eager to have them. And I wonder how many of us are unaware that Jesus is eager to have us. That Jesus wants to transform us and make us better. He wants to give us new hearts and a new way of seeing the world. See, Graham was on the forefront of integration. He knew it was wrong decades ago to judge somebody by the color of their skin. And he had the courage to say it. He was charismatic. He was energetic. He was unapologetic about the gospel. Here's some of the things that he had to say about Jesus. He said, God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. Christ not only died for all, he died for each. We say to our children, act like grown-ups, but Jesus said to grown-ups, be like children. The only hope for enduring peace is Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. The cross shows us the seriousness of our sin, but it also shows us the immeasurable love of God. When it came to heaven, he said this, My home is in heaven. I'm just traveling through this world. Heaven is full of answers for which nobody ever bothered to ask. God will prepare everything for our perfect happiness in heaven and if it takes my dog being there then I believe he'll be there. The moment we take our last breath on earth we take our first breath in heaven and this week Billy Graham took his first breath in heaven. We're in this new Linton series that we started last week called Unafraid. And we're acknowledging the fact, or at least I'm acknowledging the fact, that all of us deal with fear and anxiety and worry in our lives. But Jesus is calling us to live our lives in courage and to not spend our lives being afraid all the time. Somebody once asked Billy Graham, is it a sin to worry? And this was his response. It's not necessarily wrong, of course, to give thought to the future and to prepare for it to the best of our ability. The Bible says the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, Proverbs 14. But this isn't the same thing as worrying about the future or spending all of our time fretting about everything that might or might not go wrong. When we do that, we easily become overly stressed and emotionally paralyzed and and may even become physically ill. More than that, we find ourselves worrying about things that we can't control or do anything about. So why worry about them? Jesus said, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? But the real reason we shouldn't let worry overcome us, Graham said, is because it keeps us from trusting God. The cure to worry is trust. Trust in God and trust in his love, trust in his protection. God loves us and the proof is in Jesus Christ who gave his life for our salvation. If we can trust God for our eternal salvation, we can also trust him For our daily needs. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Make sure of your commitment to Jesus Christ, and then ask him to help you put your worries into his hands every day. When anxieties come, bring them to God in prayer. When worries threaten, answer them with God's promises. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Somebody else once wrote to Dr. Graham and said, you know, I've always been a fearful person. I worry all the time. I can't seem to help it. What can I do about it? This is what he said. I suspect you always will be like this if you don't take steps to conquer your fears. But you can take steps to conquer them, and the most important step you can take is to learn to turn your fears and your anxieties over to God. Let me explain, he said. Right now you see the world as a place that's against you. People are against you. Circumstances are against you. Future events are against you. And to some extent, you are right. The world can be a very scary place. We can't always control what happens to us. And sometimes things do go wrong. Jesus rightly warned in this world you will have trouble. But listen, ultimately God is in control. And he can be trusted to see us through life's difficulties and surprises. And God isn't only in control, he also loves us. And he can be trusted to do what is best for us. The future is in God's hands, and we can trust God no matter what happens. Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome the world. Today I thought it was fitting to share some of these words of Billy Graham. But I also want to take just a few Moments this morning to share some additional thoughts on this subject of worry, because every single one of us, no matter who we are, no matter how old we are, no matter what we're dealing with in life, we wrestle with this subject of fear and worry. We live in an age where fear dominates and controls so many people, and last Sunday I said, I get tired of that. I get tired of being in a culture where people are afraid all the time, where they're scared all the time, where they're wondering what bad thing is about to happen next. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your span of life? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of, they, the, of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today... Tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it's the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I want to pose two questions to you this morning. The first one is, why do we worry? And the second question is, how can we stop worrying or at least how can we scale our worry back to some degree? The truth remains, we worry about the things that we care the most about. If you think about the worries you have in your life, they're probably tied to the things that you care about the most. The things that you think about the most. If you, if you care about your health, you might worry about your health. If you think and care about money, you might worry about money. If you think and care about your children, you might worry about your children. That's just a a, a truth, a reality. But there was an article uh, that I came across written eight years ago in Psychology Today by a guy named Stephen Diamond, and this is what he said in response to this question, why do we worry? We fear the future, the unknown. We worry about what will happen to us, our family, our spouse, our business, our money, our home, our possessions, our country, the world. We live in a universe which is inherently unpredictable, dangerous and deadly. Indeed, anxiety and the worry it generates, which then generates more anxiety, can be understood as an acute or subliminal awareness of life's insecurity and the ever-present possibility and absolute inevitability of our death. So much of what we worry about has to do with losing what we have, health, happiness, love, wealth, power, status, wisdom, freedom, independence, support, vitality, and ultimately life itself. Existential anxiety is a recognition, either conscious or unconscious, that life is finite, existence tenuous, and that all or what little we have can be taken from us at any given time. That's what Diamond wrote in that article. And that's our answer. We worry because life is fragile. We worry because bad things do happen and can happen. We worry because what we've worked a really long time to build can be taken away from us at any given moment. And that doesn't sit well. We worry because we think that it'll help us control things. But in actuality, it doesn't. There's a couple of uh, researchers at Penn State that that did some work on worry, and and, and I I can't remember their names, you can look at Google it, but their conclusion was, there has to be some payoff for worry because if there wasn't some payoff for it, then we wouldn't do it all the time. But the truth of the matter is, worry is, is not good for our health. It's not a healthy way to live. It's not a healthy way to be. So let's ask the second question, the more important question. How can we stop worrying, or at least how can we scale our worry back to where it's kept in moderation or kept in check? Three thoughts, exactly what Billy Graham preached, we have to learn to trust in God. Jesus says if he takes care of the birds and the grass, will he not take care of you? Trusting in God does not mean that everything works out the way we want it to, but trusting in God means that things will be okay. The opposite of living in faith is living a life of fear, living a life where we're constantly wondering and doubting if things are going to be okay. And living a life of fear, quite frankly, is a miserable way to live. Trust in God. Trust that God will take care of you no matter what might happen. And that God will never leave you alone in any circumstance. You can make it through. Sometimes we we find that the things that we worry about the most, they, they actually happen. And then we realize that worrying about it was way worse than actually going through it. Mark Twain once said, I've worried about many things in my life, very few of which have actually happened. Second thought, we have to deal with this issue of control. We have to recognize that we're not, in control of everything, we're not in control of everything, and we need to stop pretending like we are. And one of the best ways to develop a pattern, to move away from control is to develop a prayer life, to cultivate spiritual disciplines, prayer, Reading scripture, silence, meditation, journaling, being in a life group, and having authentic relationships. The people that can do these things would tell you that that, that it helps with worry. It helps with calming our hearts down. Here's one of the problems with our affluent culture, at least from my perspective. We want to control everything because we do control so many things. But ultimately, we must come to terms with the fact that we don't control everything. Richard Rohr wrote a book called Everything Belongs, and in the book he says, the older we get, the more we tend to become control freaks. We need to control everybody and everything, moment by moment, to be happy. If the now has never been full or sufficient, we will always be grasping even addictive or obsessive He says, if you're always pushing yourself and others around, you have not yet found the secret to happiness. Know that things are okay as they are. What does the serenity prayer say? God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's not just for alcoholics, and addicts. People that have hit rock bottom, that's wisdom for life, for all of us. So many of us want to pretend that we control everything in our lives, but deep down we know that we don't. And the sooner we can accept that and come to peace with that, the better off we're going to be. Being a control freak will make you miserable. Because if you are trying to control everything, but you can't control everything, that's not a good formula. Third thought. Last thought. A key component to how to stop worrying is actually found at the very end of this passage in Matthew's Gospel. Where Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring troubles of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today." In other words, live life one day at a time. And within the day, live life one hour at a time. One moment at a time. And this is where many of us miss the mark. And I'm the first to admit that this is where I often miss the mark. We're not very good at being present. That's where I think the Buddhists whip the Christians we're not very good at focusing on the situation that we are in. Our anxiety keeps us on edge. And so as Henry Nouwen says, we have an address, but we are not home. We're distracted, preoccupied. We're thinking about the past, or we're fearing the future, but we're not present. And Jesus wants us to be present. The only way we can live our lives is in the present. You know, so many people are guilty of this uh, This this mindset that I'll be happy when I get to a certain stage. I'll be happy when I graduate. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I have children. I'll be happy when I get a new house. I'll be happy when I make money. I'll be happy when I retire. But one truth remains. If you can't live in the present right now, then what in the world makes you think you're going to be happy when? Fill in the blank. Why will it be any different then? The present matters. Eckhart Tolle once said that all negativity is caused by an accumulation of psychological time and denial of the present. Unease, anxiety, tension, stress, worry, all forms of fear are caused by too much future and not enough presence. Guilt, regret, resentment, grievances, sadness, bitterness, and all forms of non-forgiveness are caused by too much past and not enough presence. Be still and know that I am God, the Bible says. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives, Jesus says. Amen.